You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you in further. You step forward little by little not knowing what to expect. But expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls. Calls you to enter in to deeper waters. and welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I am Nick Peters, your host, seeking to bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and apologetics. At this point in time, we haven't got last week's interview done. There was something that happened in the middle. I had to cut it short, and we're going to have to try and get the last 15 minutes back sometime. Until then, we'll just do what we can. And I've got the show going as regularly right now. My guest today is... Tyler Velda. It's the second time he's been on, and we're kind of going to be talking about the same kind of thing. Now, uh, who is he? Tyler Velda studied philosophy and English at California State University, Sonoma, graduated with a pre-seminary BA in Biblical and Theological Studies from Moody Bible Institute, Chicago, and is currently studying towards his Master of Biblical Studies at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte. He is a host of a free thinker podcast and blog and is a frequent guest on many Christian and skeptical podcasts and forums. So, Tidal, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me back. I appreciate it. Now, if my audience doesn't know who you are, could you tell us a bit about how you got to be doing what you're doing today? Yeah, sure. So I grew up in a entirely secular home. Um, no religious influence at all. Um, was an atheist for uh, pretty much all of my teen years uh, until I started studying philosophy, actually. Um, and it was when my atheistic philosophy professor was going through in our uh, in our metaphysics class. We were going through arguments for the existence of God, and he presented the moral argument. Um, and he was, uh, he, you know, he wasn't like the new atheist. He was honest enough to say that, you know, it was a really good argument. He didn't really have any good uh, answers to it. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it posed a real challenge to naturalism. Uh, and at that point, that's one of the first um, first times I ever thought, oh, you know, theism might have something going for it. Um, started studying and looking into that. Um, and, and God got a hold of me and, um, can, you know, uh, gave my life over to Jesus Christ. Um, and so as I was doing ministry and, and um, found out there's this whole world of apologetics, I, you know, I was, I was studying philosophy at the time and um, just reading through uh, literature that people were, gi- uh, were giving me at church and, and found out there was a very robust um, Christian tradition in, in philosophy and uh, in apologetics. And so um, kind of fit my wheelhouse of what I was interested in and what I was thinking about. And so um, I've been doing apologetics now for probably a little over 10 years um, and decided to jump on the uh, the podcast and blog bandwagon about uh, – it's it's almost five years ago in about two weeks. So I've been doing uh, Freed Thinker for, for five years here coming up. So I'm uh, really enjoying it. But, but focusing mostly on – I don't do a lot of apologetics um, dealing with like the cults um, or uh, – 
issues like that with with Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. It's just it's not my gifting. It's not my it's not my area um, that I spend a lot of time studying. So I you know I'm not well versed in it. I don't really deal a lot with you know science and evolution and things like that. Uh, I deal mostly with uh, issues in and around skepticism, naturalism, um, and, and philosophy. So that's really the focus of it. And then every now and then I'll do some kind of inner um, ecumenical issues. Uh, this past couple of um, series that I've done was on um, the issue of theonomy um, and of Molinism. So um, you know some some other relevant um, apologetical issues, but I'm mostly focusing in on on issues surrounding you know coming from objections from the new atheists and skeptics around you know as i was uh writing up a blog for the show this weekend thinking about it and looking at your resume and such i think we have a lot in common i mean i heard you talk about your upbringing and such but we okay we have a lot different but in many ways we also have a lot in common i wasn't raised atheist i was raised in a religious home and been a christian Ever since I decided to become one in middle school, and it wasn't like a big change for me because that's the way I'd been living all my life. And I think the big thing is that uh, you and I both, right now we both have bachelors, and we're both working on masters, and yet we both have a blog, we're both doing active apologetics ministry, and we both have a podcast. Now, our... Uh, Theological traditions are quite different, but I think it's odd how much we have in common. <laughs> yeah, and 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 that's a good thing. I mean, I think um, what we what we what we're learning in our masters and what we're studying, we should be able to apply and use in in ministry um, in in life. I mean, that's that's the really the purpose that we are. Um, we're called for. I mean, we're, we have the the Great Commission, where we're called to you know seek out the lost, to evangelize, to share the gospel. Um, and part of that, you know, you you and I have been equipped to do uh, apologetics and that uh, you know pre evangelism, tilling the soil, equipping the saints. I mean, um, so that's um, definitely definitely good that you're you're also applying what you're what you're learning, and it's not just kind of a cold academic exercise. Yeah, and I think it's really great for. Since so many times people get so caught up in the secondary issues, and sometimes I love debating them, but they can be a a way that many people don't divide, don't don't work together. You know, they divide over them and such. But you and I disagree on quite a few secondary issues, I'm sure, and it's never once been an, an obstacle for us. Yeah, no, yeah. It's I mean, we can have kind of our inner ecumenical issues, but when when we're out there and we're doing apologetics and we're in the trenches together, I mean, those are those are just the issues that that aren't going to be relevant. You know, you might answer the problem of evil differently um, than I would as a reformed Calvinist. Um, you know, we we might give different answers, but you know, uh, that that that's okay. Um, that you know, we 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 could reach different different segments of the population that we're going for. Then, um, so um, I mean, it's it's. Definitely the, the many hands make the labor light, so. Now, we are going to be talking about uh, who you were talking about last time you were on. It branched out into talking about many other people, and that's uh, David McAfee, and a lot of people have never heard of him, and yet somehow this guy has over 159,000 likes on Facebook, at least he did every time I was writing this, uh, this blog entry in. I frankly do not understand that at all. Who is this guy and why would he be so popular? 
So David McAfee um, is uh, um, an up-and-coming um, – he's kind of in the new atheist sphere. Um, he graduated from UC Santa Barbara with a double major in um, English and I believe religious studies. Um, which he does fall back on. And um, sometimes we have to remind people that um, a religious studies degree at a university, a bachelor's, is about 30,000 miles wide and about one inch deep. Um, so, you know, it's take it for what it is, especially when you look at the type of curriculum um, that's offered at UC Santa Barbara, um, specifically most of it. I mean, he maybe had a class or two on on Christianity, but most of it is dealing with um, world religions, a bunch of other world religions. Um, he, start, he, he, wrote, he started out by writing a book um, called uh, Disproving Christianity. Um, it's now gone into its second edition, which is what uh, my book is responding to. Um, Christian, uh, disproving Christianity and other secular writings. Really, really, all he did for the second edition was uh, he didn't take any of really of the feedback from any of his critics, like myself or, or anyone else. Um, he just added on a bunch of appendix uh, appendices for um, uh, just other little short. I, I, I'm I'm hesitant to call them essays, um, thoughts, musings, um, and so he published that. He he's published. Um, a couple children's books, um, called, one called The Belief Book. Um, he has – I don't know if it's out yet, but he's writing a, a second book dealing with, I think, um, other religions of the world. Um, and he wrote a book about um, in, encouraging atheists to be able to come out called Mom, Dad, I'm an Atheist. Um, he is very, very popular uh, primarily because – and I don't say that – I mean it's kind of mean. I don't mean it in an in a overly mean way, but the skeptical community for the most part – um, the, the kind of online public, you know, internet infidel type of community really isn't interested in reason. They're, they're really not interested in robust argumentation. Uh, they, they are, um, kind of in the early, in the infant stage mm. of, uh, of a movement. Um, and so they are in kind of that sociological stage of defining their borders, um, saying who's in, who's out, um, really um, in the process of, of trying to build their their numbers. Um, and so they're much more interested in rhetoric, um, and he has a lot of it for them. Um, very uh, soundbite, one line, um, sometimes quite funny at the expense of Christianity. You know, we, we have to admit sometimes there are there are funny little one-liners, no matter how inaccurate they are. Um, and so they they serve as kind of a in-group back padding um, that helps bolster their their cause and uh, and helps them you know feel like yes they are they are the brights they are the smart they are the you know reasonable rational and everyone else is you know stupid and believes in fairy tales and and all that kind of all that kind of stuff and so it really it, it really plays well to the narrative of the of the online infidel community and so they love him for it you know, when you were talking about it, a couple of thoughts came to my mind. First one is one of the sayings I like to use when I talk about internet atheists and such is to change the words of Jesus when he's quoting the Old Testament. He says, These people honor reason with their lips, but their heads are far from it. Yeah. Very, very, very far. They're, they're, it is not... It is not reasonable at all. I mean, they, they, so many of them could not reason out of a wet paper bag if you gave them, you know, a map and a pickaxe. It just it, it, there's there's 
there's very, very little um, happening in the gray matter between the ears. And, and the funny thing is, is they'll, they'll love to say that they're, you know, we're the free thinkers and, you know, we, we've given up, you know, uh, illusions and irrational thought and all this kind of stuff. But all they're doing is just they just hear uh, and, and blindly parrot um, the last funny cutting meme soundbite that they that they heard or that they read on, you know, infidels.com or on the Dawkins Foundation or, or wherever um, they find it. Um, and, you know, you and I are in a couple of groups um, together and we see them post these memes. And, and the funny thing is, is the 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 thing one of the things that i've done with some of the atheists on my on my podcast that i've intentionally done is i've tried to bring on atheists who are clearer you know we disagree but they're at least they're clearer thinkers at least they try to reason they're not you know they're not arguing from these ridiculous just stupid memes that just mislead uh, and misrepresent christianity um i try to bring them on the podcast just like, like I want atheists to see, like you, you have better options. Like you realize, yeah. um, there, there are better options for you to be reading and listening to. Like I, I had Graham Oppie on the show, who's one of the world's just leading philosophers, full stop, um, who's an atheist, um, and just basically to you know expose people to his work and show Christians, you know, yeah, there, there are more robust um, uh, atheists out there. But to show atheists, yes, there are more robust atheists out there. Um, maybe try to emulate them and stop emulating these these really ridiculous, um, just shallow juvenile positions. Yeah, maybe, so when we say that these people aren't being reasonable, it's not because they're atheist and. Our atheists aren't reasonable and such. It's because the way they're arguing, and I mean, I'll be honest, up from and say the way they're arguing, there are many Christians that would sadly argue the exact same way, and that's just as unreasonable. Yeah, that's that, that's um, a, a really interesting parallel that that some of us have noticed that a lot of times, especially when you're dealing with uh, biblical interpretation, um, the atheists because they don't read and they're only engaging with kind of the the angry rhetoric that that um, that they read on their websites. They really only engage with some of the most fundamentalistic, irrational positions from the other side. I mean, we we admit there are Christians um, who who are terrible, um, and and sometimes we listen to them and we're just like, oh, please stop talking, like, please stop, please please stop representing Christ that way. Um, but but they'll they'll basically take their cues from them. And so a lot of times, like, for example, when I listen to them debating, you know, creationism and Genesis one, uh, I just listen to them and I'm like, you know, both of you, either the very, 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 you know, uh, hyper literalistic um, fundamentalists on on, you know, the Christian right or the, the crazy skeptical um, hyper hyper skeptic on the left. I'm like you. You realize you guys are just talking to each other. Like that's it. the The rest of Christendom, uh, and and the rest of basically anyone who also knows how to read, um, has no clue what either of you are talking about. Um, and so they kind of get stuck in this little echo chamber with each other, um, because that's who their basically their uh, their foe is. Yeah. When you also talk about them being kind of like in a sort of infancy state. And such, I was thinking about because I just got done reading not too long ago. Uh, James Lindsay, he's kind of a disciple of Peter Bogosian. Ugh. Of everybody is wrong about God, and 
a total, total train wreck. Even worse than Book Oceans. I didn't think that'd be really possible, but it is. <laughs> and the way I've uh, described it is kind of like looking insane better. Well, you know, we talk about how we've abandoned these kind of childish ideas and we're adults now and such a thing. No, no thing is, you've you've abandoned some childish ideas, but you haven't moved to the adult stage. You're more like, right now, like, rebellious teenagers who think you know it all and look at all these other dumb old fogies on the other side who don't have a clue and maybe sometime soon you'll grow up. Yeah. Yeah, and that and that's the thing is that so many of these. It, the funny thing is is that they'll 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 mock us for you know, uh, you know they think every Christian was indoctrinated when they were a child, and so you know we 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 left our our, our childish beliefs and we became these you know these skeptics. I, I know this isn't true for everybody, just like it's not true for every Christian that they became a Christian when they were a child, mm-hmm. uh, which I love when they do to me, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but anyways. Uh, a lot of times when you talk to them and you kind of hear their biography, they left Christianity when they were a child. Yeah. I, I mean, they left it when they were nine or ten. And, th- and for them, the rhetoric is going to be, oh, well, you know, even at ten, I knew it was ridiculous. Um, and I just want to say, well, no, at ten, you had a ten-year-old's understanding of it. And maybe you rejected that childish understanding. Uh, but do you really think, you know uh, – Chesterton and and Lewis and Aquinas and Craig and and you know uh, all, all these other, do do you really think that they just sit around and and think that the uh, that Noah's Ark was was filled with all these happy smiling animals and it, like it's just you left a childish belief because it was childish okay but uh, Christians are supposed to mature as well in, in their beliefs and understanding so um, it yeah it's definitely a a reaction to a lot of times to their own to their own upbringing. Well, let's get back to McAfee a little bit. How did you two end Reshavar's orbit? Um, I actually, so I don't remember the first way we crossed cross paths. I don't know if it was on Facebook or when I was a contributor on an old blog called Rusty Lime. Um, I'm not exactly sure how we crossed paths, but we did. Um, and we lived very close to each other. So he was going um, to UC Santa Barbara, and I lived about an hour south of him. Um, and so actually through some dialogues and, and, and things, we actually – we've met and had dinner together. Um, so you know, I know him in real life. I, he, I, think, he's, I think he's a nice guy. He's, I mean he's nice. He's friendly. He's, he's, he's actually much smarter in person than he comes across in his literature, um, which might be surprising for some people because his books are terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he, he, you know, he's actually a, very, a kind of a quick-witted guy. Um, but uh, once I did the review of his book, um, it was like he just, you know, fell off, fell off the face of the earth. I, yeah, I've commented, you know, um, frequently on his page and tried to engage with him. I've, I've asked him to come on the show and defend his work, um, to engage in dialogue. Uh, I've, I've had other people offer to kind of offer impartial platforms um, for him and I to come and discuss. So it's not like he's coming on my home turf or anything like that. Um, and, and he's and he's uh, denied coming on. He actually he has a debate coming up in Northern California. I think it's in Northern California. Maybe it's in Seattle on, on the Northern West Coast, West Coast somewhere um, with uh, with Luke. I always butcher his last name. Van Wiggy, I think is how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Luke, if you're listening and, and I just butchered that. I'm sorry. I've only seen it in text. Um, and uh, so Luke reached – I reached out to Luke and let him know, um, you know, 
I, I'm really glad he's debating somebody. You know, I gave him a copy of my book. Um, feel free to use any resources. Uh, gave him some some tips for engaging with with David and Luke responded back and basically said um, he's he's had to kind of covertly use my resources because he mentioned me once and David almost backed out mm-hmm. of that di- of that debate and that dialogue. So um, so we'll we'll I, I'm definitely looking forward to see yeah. how he actually holds his own in a debate because I think it's going to be a train wreck. Um, Luke is very smart, very 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 smart guy, um, and if just from seeing David's lecture, I think it's going to be. His normal tactic of just the shotgun approach where he throws out, you know, a thousand one line shallow objections uh, and and attempting to win basically by by drowning Luke with with more things than he has time to answer, um, which which is an effective rhetorical strategy because the audience is looking and be like, oh, well, he's ignored most of what David has said. He doesn't have an answer for it. Um, at least that's how, you know, the, the typical atheist will, will read these t- or listen to those types of things. So, um, so I'm definitely interested to see how that debate plays out. Yeah, I think it's something very odd and overall, I mean, I've challenged him to a debate, as you know as well, and yep. he hasn't said a single thing to me about it. And you have, and I think some other people have, so Finally, there was some debate coming. But when we look at his book, uh, Disproving Christianity, I, mean, I read it pretty quick. It's on Kindle. It's a very small read. You could probably read it in a couple of hours or so overall. Yep. And it's incredibly lacking because there is really absolutely nothing on there pertaining to the resurrection. I mean, the whole yep. thing is pretty much... Look at all these Bible contradictions with, with, with this idea that many fundamentalist atheists have it. If you disprove inerrancy, then you disprove Christianity. And and the major problem is so I don't even think this, this, he disproves inerrancy. I mean, not he doesn't even come close because most of the supposed objections um, are just they're just bad. I mean, they're just bad. They're they're they're. You know, they're they're of the variety. I mean, he he thankfully doesn't have this one in there, but they're of the variety of. Um, with the Bible says, you know, that pi equals three, mm-hmm. um, which it doesn't. I mean, it's just it's it's just a nonsense um, position. It's it's kind of a hyper literalistic. A lot of times, it just ignores um, it ignores the context. It ignores what's actually you know imp- explicitly stated in the text. Um, and it's just you know, and a lot of it. So it's funny because he is um, he he's not a moral realist, right? Um, and I and and I've tried to engage him so many times and basically argue, look, if you're a naturalist, you're you're actually a nihilist. Um, but he he you know he denies objective morality. But the entire book, most of these supposed. He calls them contradictions. They're not act- – I mean they're not even contradictions because they're not even like the Bible says A and not A. It's just like the Bible says this and isn't that stupid. Um, or the Bible says this and I don't like it. And I, and I don't like it. Or, or the, the, the impetus of it is supposed to be the, the Bible says this and look how immoral or evil or wicked that is, mm-hmm. um, which you can't do without objective morality. And so that's um, that's a big a big challenge. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Just before we got on, I was talking with an atheist on a group page that we're both involved with, and he's like, yeah, well, I don't hold in absolute morality or anything like that, but, you know, we all know what we mean by goodness, and don't you think it's wrong for God to eternally torture people in hell? Do you, do you not know, I mean, minus the uh, 
the false representation of what a hero is, but it's like, do you not know how nonsensical what you're saying is? Yeah, it, it and just so much of it is is falls into that into that line. I mean, it's he he bemoans um, when God commands you know the Israeli soldiers to go into um, to go into the promised land, and Moses commands them um, to, you know to put everything under the ban. But of course, he doesn't do any research uh, on any of this. I mean, you're not going to find a footnote on any of this, right? right? I mean, I mean, th- those are problematic passages. But usually, so the funny thing is, is sometimes he'll come across something that is a problematic passage, but he'll he'll address it for all the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll it'll be it'll be something that no um, no scholar uh, has a problem with. Um, so it's just it, it's just so shallow and. You can't even check his research because there is none because there's no footnotes yeah. anywhere. There, there's there's not a, there's not a sign that he's that he's read a single book that he's read a single article that he's done that he's done anything. Um, there, there's not even a sign that he's read the Bible. I mean, there's there's so many places where where he's engaging with with some passage. Um, but he doesn't he doesn't address what happens directly in front or directly after that that relates to it mm-hmm. it just uh, i i get the feeling that he just read these somewhere on like you know merits lists of contradictions or something and just elaborates on them on his own and that's really about it you know the thing with the whole inerrancy bit is that if you go that route i mean what i tell people is i believe in inerrancy i've covered an ebook on it and such but i don't marry my christianity to it and I encourage Christians to not really argue about inerrancy of atheists because what will happen usually is you can be in a debate and they'll present you a link with, say, 101 Bible contradictions. Okay, you go out there and you do some hard research, you look at every single one of these and you answer them. You come back and what's going to happen? Are they going to fall down on their knees and say, oh my gosh, Jesus is Lord and repent immediately? Nope. They're going to give you a link to 101 more Bible contradictions. So what I do then is I jump straight to the resurrection question and say, okay, let's discuss this issue. If this issue can be resolved, then we can start taking the other contradictions and such much more seriously. If not, the contradictions are just trivia. Yeah, and and again, I mean – we say contradictions because that's the label that they yeah. use, but they're they're not even contradictions. They're you know at most, um, mm. I don't know pr- problem texts. I, I I don't even know I don't even know the right way to put it because ninety easily probably ninety eight ninety nine percent of these are just uh, just pointless, um, just absolutely pointless. So you know the 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 one that he gives that's one of my one of my favorite standouts is. Um, he he tries to say there's a contradiction on whether or not God is all powerful, um, he, and he cites these passages like Revelation 19 and Judges 1, where it says the Lord Almighty uh, reigns. Um, it talks about being the Lord Almighty and all this kind of stuff. But in Judges 119, um, Judges 119 says, and the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had iron chariots. And he wants to say, well, you know, that's a contradiction. How how is God Almighty, but he can't he can't drive out you know the inhabitants of the hill country because they had iron chariots. 
I mean, the problem with this is, is just manifold. Uh, for you know, there, there's a couple issues. Firstly, uh, he could actually refer to Judah, um, not to God. So who who couldn't drive out the inhabitants? It's not the Lord. It's Judah who couldn't drive them out. Um, and and the text in the Hebrew, it's not necessarily could. It, it could be, and he would not drive them out, even if you are talking uh, about about Yahweh. But more importantly, if you read later in the context. Uh, just just down to the beginning of the next chapter in 2, 1 through 3, God basically says, um, look, I stopped fighting with you because you stopped obeying my voice. Hmm. Um, you know, you, you, you haven't obeyed my voice. And so therefore, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to drive out the nations from in front of you. That's why I stopped fighting with you. And so really the, the question just becomes, even if, even if it says that, that the Lord is the one uh, who wouldn't drive out the inhabitants, it's not a contradiction with his omnipotence. Um, it's not a contradiction that God's somehow not all powerful and couldn't overcome chariots of iron. Uh, it's that um, the God fighting for, for Israel, as we find in, in the second book of law in Deuteronomy, um, was contingent upon their faithfulness and obedience to the law. Uh, and, and he told them over and over again, if you aren't obedient, guess what's going to happen? You're going to lose. You're going to get conquest. You're going to go into exile, all this kind of stuff. Um, and so what do we find when they first get in the land? They're not faithful. They're not obedient. And so God shows them in a small way. Okay. You know, you're not going to go to exile. This is going to be a first shot across the bow, but you're not faithful. So you're going to lose, um, you know, and, and trying to have them learn their lesson. Um, and, but he takes this as like this major contradiction in the text. And I just want to say, like, have, have you learned to read? Um, like, have, have you learned, have you, you don't pick out a single line of a text as if it's some type of Aesop's fable that stands all on its own. You, you read, if it's part of an entire narrative, you read it as an entire narrative. Um, and he just, he just over and over and over again, he just doesn't do that. You know, the Iron Chariots one is so notorious. There was actually a skeptical page that was kind of, I think it's a wiki type of page, called Iron Chariots, as if yeah. some great find today. Yeah. Yeah. Iron Chariots is uh, so. So it's funny because they already have rational wiki, which is already bad as it is. Oh, yes. Um, it, you know, it's supposed to be like the, the atheistic version of of, uh, of Wikipedia. And it's already terrible. I mean, it's already it, it is so biased um, and, and so not objective. And so I guess some people were like, oh, that's not that's not biased enough. So then they came out with Iron Chariots, which is just, um, you know, it's scraping the bottle or bottom of the barrel for uh for things, well, they might be on the bottle too when they're doing it. I don't know, but it's 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 bad. Yeah, and the thing is with all these, mm, let's suppose worst case scenario, there was no answer we had to the Iron Chariots one. Suppose that this was in fact an honest Bible contradiction somehow. Well, you know, the worst thing would happen is well, I guess I have to change my view of Scripture and inspiration now. I don't have to change my view that Jesus rose from the dead. That's true independent. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think that that's true. But I, to be honest, there, there's not a single passage that, that has come up that I've ever even yeah. really needed to go that route. I mean, right. technically that's true. Yeah. But but I just want to go back and be like, I mean, at the worst, a passage is ambiguous and has, has a couple different ways you could read it. And there's usually a, a completely legitimate textual way that you can understand it that resolves the issue. So, so typically at worst, it's not even that I have to give up inerrancy. It's okay. I have to give 
give up what I think is is a is a one interpretation for another almost equally plausible interpretation <laughs> of those passages. So it doesn't even go to the level of inerrancy for for nearly all of these uh, all of these verses. And and the funny thing is. I, it's almost it's almost a blessing in disguise that these people are only familiar with Iron Chariots and Rational Wiki and Infidels.org and and all of these um, and and you know Bart Ehrman I don't even think they read Bart Ehrman's you know popular level writings I think they read blog posts about Bart Ehrman's popular level writings um, so they don't they don't even get like the 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 superficial Ehrman. Um, but it's actually probably a good thing that that they don't read uh, um, some of these more robust ones um, for at least some of these because um, they're they're really trivial and, and easy to defeat, which which makes apologetics with them very easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I've had a lot of people because I, you know I, I do a lot of uh, a lot of online debating and. And a lot of people will, you know, ask me about, well, you know, why do you answer a fool according to the folly? And, you know, you're throwing pearls before swine and all this kind of stuff. And I say, you know, if if this was like my friend, like in real life, my like we were hanging out and having coffee, I probably would have abandoned this line of conversation a long time ago um, because um, you there there does just come a point where they're just going to dig their heels in and you're going to make them more angry. And it doesn't protect the relationship. And so, you know, if this was if this was a personal relationship, I would have I would have change topics or change gears or, or done something very differently in, in my evangelism of that person rather than, um, what I'm doing here. But a lot of times I will, I will hold out to the bitter end to, to reveal how irrational and how nonsensical these people are, because I know that a lot of people are watching. Um, I know that a lot of people are looking on and I can't tell you how many, um, how many Christians, how many atheists, how many skeptics, how many agnostics people on the fence have, have messaged me and said, um, you know, you know, they're, they're like, I, you know, I don't know how you have the patience to deal with that person, but I'm really glad you exposed how ridiculous they were being. Um, so really a lot of this, a lot of this online ministry is done for, you know, the, the 85% of the people who are involved in the conversation in the sense that they're reading it, but will never post and never comment. Yeah. When, uh, I encountered some Muslims, for instance, who want to argue about the biblical text, and we were trying to barter Ehrman over and over, and I said, well, you know, maybe you should uh, listen to the words of this scholar of textual criticism, and this quote goes and says, in spite of these remarkable differences, scholars are convinced that we can reconstruct the original words of the New Testament with reasonable, although probably not 100% accuracy. The first step in doing so is to categorize the kinds of changes that scribes made in their texts. Now, Tyler, do you have uh, any idea what scholar it was who made that quote? Oh, it was Bart Ehrman. Yes, it was. Yeah. And I mean, these people often never really read the academic writings. I think it's just, as, as a group think, they only read what agrees with them. And it's the lowest common denominator. And I think Bart Ehrman pretty much got thrown under the bus as soon as he wrote... Did Jesus exist? Which I think even from my member of disproving Christianity, that McCaffrey himself seems to be friendly at least towards Jesus mythicism. And now yeah. Richard Carrier is a be all and end all of New Testament scholarship. Yeah, which is I mean, it's just if you can't find an actual New Testament scholarship, you know, find the contrarian voice. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and again, self-justify it by saying, well, that's because all the people who believe in the historical Jesus are um, are, are Christians and they're dogmatic, and you know they just they're they or 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 if they deny Jesus, you know they'll they'll have they'll lose their jobs and all this kind of stuff. And it's just like that's that's so ridiculous if you actually know how New Testament scholarship uh, happens and 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 works. Um, they 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 have they have no qualms about um, thoroughly rejecting Christianity yeah. and the teachings of Jesus Christ. There's not an issue there whatsoever, um, but yeah, and 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 the funny thing is, is uh, uh, they'll they'll use Bart Ehrman, but they'll and they'll use his popular level text, but they'll use it in a way that even Bart Ehrman never, even in his most wild popularist dreams would ever have intended um, his works to do because they don't understand what textual criticism is. Mm-hmm. At least Bar Ehrman understands what textual criticism is and knows that the entire point of textual criticism is to recover the original text. Mm-hmm. Um, and so many atheists and, and like you said, uh, Muslims will will think that text criticism is something that undoes the text or undermines the text. Um, like if we have you know 12 different variant readings, like that's a bad thing. Um, and, and they, they don't understand how, how text critics use, um, the different variations and the different manuscripts and manuscript traditions and, and, and why we think we've been able to recover something like 99% accuracy of the original text with only, you know, uh, some, some minor difficult passages where a lot of times, um, we, we have a pretty good idea of what the original one said, um, and and the very very few where we're not sure what the original text said, um, both answer or both both variants are are possible. Um, both of them are also theologically possible. Like they don't they don't have anything to do with any any doctrinal issues. Um, and and what I remind people is that look, we actually have the original text. We have it. We just don't know which one of the two it is, mm-hmm. but it's there. Um, so, so even for that last, you know, half to 1%, we have it. Um, we just don't know usually between one or two, um, one or two manuscript traditions. Usually we're coming down to one or two different words, um, what the original text, uh, was at that point. Yeah. I agree with what you were saying about how this is really a blessing because when I see atheists running after people like, uh, McCaffrey or even further down the line, people like Richard Carrier and... Robert Price and such, and jumping especially into the Mephistus bandwagon. Where I see it's that atheists are, in fact, not lifting themselves up. They're dumbing themselves down yeah. a lot. And that means that, say, 20, 30, 40 years from now, while Christians have been building themselves up, when that time comes, we're going to corner the market because this generation coming up on atheism won't have a clue how to think about these issues. No, but and and but the only danger is is that um, they just don't care. Mm-hmm. So um, they they they're going to grow up. This generation is going to grow up not learning how to think about these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're gonna they're gonna have so imbibed the rhetoric that religion is so stupid and so evil and so contrary to progress and all these kind of things. Um, that I'm not sure it's going to matter to them specifically. Um, but uh, and I think that's what you're getting at. It's going to really help when. We are dealing with people who who are um, who are reasonable thinkers, um, and they're looking at both sides, and they're going to say, "Well, what's what? What does each side had to have to offer?" Um, 
you're going to have, a, again, a continued robust tradition in Christianity of, of good philosophical, textual, um, apologetical thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to be back to, again, very, very little atheists who are um, who are robust enough to engage with it. Um, they, they really are going to be a dying breed um, right now. So uh, we'll, we'll definitely see how that how that plays out. And, of course, my main concern when we're novice is that so many times the church, I think, is handed a golden opportunity, and we do absolutely nothing with it. And, unfortunately, the church hasn't had a good tradition of sticking to its apologetics strengths and such, and we're going to need to overcome that as well. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's it's definitely hard. And for, for a long time, those of us who are doing apologetics for a long time, we, we remember the, you know, the bad old days when you had to kind of justify doing apologetics in the church. Mm-hmm. I think we're past that now. I think apologetics has gained enough popularity um, that in most most theological traditions and most most um, denominations and churches, apologetics is is definitely seen um, as something that's worthwhile, even if it's even if they view it as only worthwhile for like those specially gifted people. People to do it, you don't kind of have to justify your existence anymore like you used to. I'm, I'm sure there's still some kind of you know anti-intellectual churches that still feel that way, but um, it's becoming it's becoming rarer now. Um, I, I think which is which is really good. My my concern is actually much less to do um, with with the religion and atheism, but just a broader cultural issue, um, just kind of the dumbing down and, and overall juvenization of um, our culture. Uh, I think we're becoming dumber mm-hmm. um, and, uh, you know, and, and less interested in um, in robust conversations. We're, we're less able to to have people disagree with us. I mean, we're seeing that over, over and over again in kind of these university context settings and safe places and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm interested to see how that that plays into um, a lot of these a lot of these dialogues. We're, we're seeing it affect some laws um, now, um, which is becoming problematic. Um, I, you know, I'm not I'm not one of those people that's going to be you know an alarmist and say persecution is coming. Persecution is coming, um, but there but there are some laws that are that are even if they're not getting passed, the fact that they're getting proposed more and more frequently is, is somewhat troubling. Um, that, that really is going to make, um, being a public Christian rather difficult. Um, so we'll see how that goes, but, but overall, I mean, I think, um, youth are getting, um, less interested in, in, um, in intellectual, uh, enterprises and um it's just getting it's getting harder and harder to kind of have people be interested i think in in important things hopefully if we raise you know the next generation um uh, adequately and and with this type of interest and they start seeing kind of the the failed trappings of this kind of consumeristic stage um that we're at we'll we'll see some improvement but who knows i mean we'll we'll see i was i was listening to an interview recently and i can't remember the the gentleman's name but he said you know the two the two problems with our schools um is what is what children aren't learning in school and what they are learning in school so um we'll we'll see how it goes yeah i think the thing with the knowledge is we have i mean i can picture some atheists up there looking saying look what do you mean we're dumb and ever? Look at how much more we know about the universe through science and things like that. And you say, yeah, you know what? We know more as a whole of humanity than anyone ever has in the past, but individually, 
we don't know how to think about these issues. We don't know how to process individually. People do, on the most part, seem to know less than the people who came before them. Yeah, we we know. Yeah, so you're, I think you're absolutely right. I think you know, as science is discovering more about the natural world, but we know ourselves less. We 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 um, we are in touch with ourselves less. We're in touch with our history, with um, with with family, with people. Um, we we are are not as uh, I, I think on 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 a whole, we're not as um, adept and skilled at, at critical thought and thinking about things. And a lot of times, I just want to look at parents and be like, okay, take away the iPad from your child and give them a book like an actual book give them give them lewis give them chesterton you know even if it's even if it's lewis's you know sci-fi trilogy or something or, or screw tape letters or chronicles something Narnia, even chronicles of narnia give give them give them something give them yeah. something to read give them something to think about give them something with with beautiful themes and with deep with deep uh, aspects and insights into humanity and, and living in this world and uh, teach them how to think about things stop being passive parents and stop you know just uh trying to have um, the teachers teach and we just keep them happy and placated yeah. and calm and quiet yeah we had a hardy ordway on a few weeks ago and we did talk about this kind of thing. I mean, yeah, of course there has to be downtime for your kids, and even for us, we have to have time for for pleasure pursuits and play, but that's to uh, renew our minds and such for better study. I mean, there are times I've been reading all day and saying, okay, honey, let's turn on some Netflix or something, but I mean, we have to have that devoted time in for study that life isn't all about just being entertained that there are greater pursuits out there that you can in that you can participate in and unfortunately many young people today are growing up with the whole idea of what's called been called morally therapeutic deism that they have a god out there and he's more interested in helping them be good people giving them comfort when they're suffering but other than that he's just not very active in the world yeah yeah, I think I think um, uh, Christian Smith, who who came up with, or well, not came up with, he uh, really did all the research on moralistic therapeutic deist, deism, has really kind of hit that nail on the head for what's happening in our in our modern churches with our with our young people, um, and and I'm scared to see what's happening with our young people who aren't in church, um, and and seeing what's what's happening with them. So, um, and and you know, I see it in in I'm not sure how old you are, but I, I see it even in in my generation and kind of the, you know, not, not our children, but kind of the people who were, you know, five, uh, five, 10 years below us, um, who I, you know, I don't think, I don't think read one book a year. Uh, I, I'm not even sure they read one book a decade. Uh, probably haven't read a book since college. So, um, you know, it's, 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 but 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 we kind of digress. I mean, th- those are those are broader cultural issues. But I think that those are gonna those are gonna reap some uh, really problematic dividends for us if we don't if we don't kind of um, curb that tide. And so it, it really behooves Christians um, to to step up. It's not easy. I mean, it's it's much harder to to have your child sit down and read a book than it is to have them sit down in front of an iPad and play a game, um, or to you know take them outside and and you know do some fun activities outside or something. Um, but it really behooves us, um, to, to help, um, you know, change the direction of culture in that regard. And since you did ask, in case anyone's wondering, I'm 35 right now, but if you ask me Monday, the answer is going to be different then. Oh, we are, we are very close. I just turned 36, uh, on the 13th. So we are very close. Mm -hmm. Well, 
going to uh, McAfee, then again, your book is called Measuring McAfee. Yes. And when I was reading Aussie, the thought that kept going into my head over and over, and it was, it's been a while since I've read it, honestly, but the thought kept going in my head was, dang, talk about overkill. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's long. Um, I mean, it's probably almost 200 pages long. I think it's 190 something pages. I don't remember the exact page count, uh, but it, but it's long. Um, and it's, it's footnoted and it's actually, um, uh, you know, researched and that, that, that's one of the reasons why it's longer. So when I, when I read McAfee's book, it was almost like an almanac of, um, really bad objections to Christianity. Um, it, it was the, the kind of, it, it was like a, like I said earlier, is his shotgun approach. He threw out as many objections to Christianity as he could get his hands on. I don't think he was very discriminating. Uh, I don't actually know which ones he thinks are good and which ones he thinks are weak. Um, he, he just throws out, you know, hundreds of them. And so I thought, well, this is, this is a good opportunity to address a lot of these issues and a lot of some of the underlying assumptions and hermeneutics and, and philosophical and worldview issues that are kind of underlying all of this in one spot. Um, and so I took that as an opportunity to really try to address as much of this as I possibly could um, in one book. But what it also does, um, because, you know, he'll throw out the problem of evil in like two paragraphs, well, you can't respond to the problem of evil in two paragraphs. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, you can't respond to to a uh, you know a, a rejection of moral objectivity um, in in two paragraphs. It's going to take a long time, and so uh, you know, there, there's a few times in the book where I actually I know you know this this response is going to be pages and pages and pages longer um, than his original objection. But, you know, un- untying the Gordian knot takes a lot more effort than tying it. So um, so it, it is quite a bit longer, but I, I thought it was – I thought it would be beneficial to actually, you know, tease all these issues out. Yeah, and uh, from what I gather, the only response that McAfee's had to this book was pretty much a dirty joke, right? Um, pretty pretty close. Um, he he has he's never responded because the book existed in in a book review a review form um, prior to the book uh, being published. So um, I updated it and I added things and I added um, some some different sections in it um, for the actual publication. Um, I added at the very at the very very end of the book. I added. Um, uh, a, a review of an article that um, Nicholas Brzezzi and I did of one of his blog posts to kind of show um, some other issues that we had um, with uh, with basically the way he argues about things and doesn't research things and, and all of that. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it's just it, he he hasn't engaged with, it. he hasn't really responded to it, and I and I've tried, you know, I've tried to get him to respond um, because one of his favorite tactics a long time ago, I, you know, he still does it every now and then, but it'll be like a screenshot where he screenshotted his own quote. <laughs> um, it's like a triple share of his own work, um, and it'll be a quote from the book. Um, and so I'll, you know, I'll make a reference to the review um, and and to the page number that you can find it on and stuff like that. And and really, all that happens, he he doesn't really respond. Um, but all of his little fanboy acolytes will jump in and be like, "Oh, you know, you what are you in love with them? You're stalking him. You have to, you know, write write a write a response to what he says. You know, it's it's just a joke and all, it, whatever." 
um, their their responses are. Um, so yeah, he hasn't he hasn't really uh, done any response to it whatsoever. I'm not sure that he could, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't I don't know how he would go about actually defending his work from any of the things that I've that I've said because his work is so bad. He he hasn't done the research, and in order to be able to respond to what I've said, it would actually require research, which I just don't think he's interested in doing. Mm-hmm. Now, why do you think you've invested? I mean, I'm not criticizing you, I'm not complaining about it, but just out of curiosity, why do you think you've invested so much in dealing with McAfee like Fitz? Um, So, I've I've, um, taken my foot off the pedal the past probably eight months to a year or so. I haven't really engaged him that much um, lately. Um, Just because I I do have so many other things happening. You know, I'm working on my master's, I'm working on another book, um, I have the podcast, um, uh, I'm actually getting ordained and installed as an elder at my church. So, there, you know, I I had actually, it's kind of funny. The last time I was on your show, um, my wife was about to pop with with a baby, um, and now we are uh, about 30 weeks pregnant again. So, uh, you know, a, a lot has happened in life since then, and I just don't kind of have the time to keep up with with him and his his fanboys. Um, but at at kind of the peak of it, it was because um, he you know he does have 150 thousand something followers. He is getting invited to speak at at you know national skeptical meetings and events, and he, I think he actually went to an international skeptical event. He's you know he's he's um, someone that that a lot of skeptics and atheists will parrot and look to. And um, I'm not sure if he's lost popularity, however, because I, I used to see his memes floating all over the place. I mean, I used to see them in Unbelievable, on, you know, Atheist vs. Theist, on, on a bunch of different um, uh, places that I'm in. Some people would post them um, in, in my page. Um, you know, they'll, they'll post one of his little memes of his little witty retorts. Um, and I just don't see them anymore. Um, so I don't know if he's just not as, as active in dealing with the atheist community anymore, or if it's just a function of, you know, Facebook algorithms just realize that I don't comment on his page and so don't show me as much. I'm not sure. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I, I, I hope that a bunch of the criticism that, you know, myself and you and, uh, and Elijah and, and some others have, have done against his work, um, have kind of taken root, but, um, or at least made him reticent to to really you know engage a lot in these issues. But we'll see. We'll see. Um, like I said, we'll see how the de- upcoming debate comes, and we'll see how it goes. But yeah, I haven't I haven't engaged with him much lately. And uh, just to make sure that we do get proper credit, this due, that's uh, Elijah Thompson you're talking about, right? Yes, yes, Elijah Thompson. Yeah. So go ahead, check out his work as where everyone. And uh, I'm suspecting on. Part of the reason is pretty much like a Peter Bogosian for a while was someone really, really popular with the atheist crowd. He wrote the book, The Manual for Creating Atheists, which was just gosh darn offer. <laughs> and then he debated Tim McGrew, which was not a debate, it was a massacre. Oh, yeah, he got slaughtered. And after that, you never really heard much from him anymore. And then when someone, I saw someone a few months ago post in the uh, CAA, the Christian Project's lines about James Lindsay's book, and I said, well, this one's not for library yet, but I'll look and keep an eye out for it as soon as it came to 
be accessible at our library. I ordered it, had it sent by, went, picked it up, read it, and just Friday, I think it was, poured up a review of it. And my thinking is, yeah, if this guy's coming back, Bogosian, I want to be able to put him down before he gets the audience. Yeah. Yeah, and and um, I, I think we I think we missed that opportunity with um, with McAfee. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, he you know he had already published his his book and had already a kind of a big following. By the time most of us got around to him, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not not to toot my own horn, but again, I did have this book review written after his the first edition of his book was out before he was really big. I you know I, I was trying to kind of ring the bell. Um, a while back, so yeah, I appreciate what you're doing with Lindsay's book, um, and and hopefully that that gets distributed. Um, you have you have a much wider audience um, than than I had when I was writing the the book review originally. I think I only had you know 20 or 30 listeners at that point. Um, so so hopefully you know your your review um, gets gets shared and gets passed around, so a lot more people get equipped. So as it starts, you know, his book starts getting quoted and memed and soundbited and, and all of that kind of stuff, uh, people will be prepared already with answers and we're not kind of coming it up with it, um, as, as, as it goes, um, which is, which is really helpful. So, you know, to return to the kind of cultural thing we're talking about, it just occurred to me, this is another reason why this stuff is so essential because we're not stopping these problems before they really get started. And one of the best ways to stop them is if, if you're a parent and you're Raising your children in a Christian home, and God bless you for doing that. Please do not take their faith for granted. Because if they wind up abandoning their faith, they could become the next McAfee or Lindsay or anyone else out there. And that's a problem we all have to deal with then. Apologetics can be seen in some ways as an inoculation in advance to protect them from bad reasoning. They, they will encounter everyone. It's not... In this day and age, in the past, you could have probably grown up and never really encountered atheistic thought or anything like that. Now, in the age of the internet, it's unavoidable. Yeah, it really, it really, really is. Um, and the the danger of of really atheism. I mean, atheism does have a powerful tool in its arsenal, and very few people know it, um, which is. Um, is good, uh, and it, it's something that I that I pointed out before several times. Where you know, when when I was an atheist, uh, I never would have appreciated any of these kind of shallow um, sound bites, anything like that. I, I never would have denied that I had a burden of proof, um, anything like that. I, I just I just would have. Um, the the example that I give is is of sun humans. Um, I mean. If someone came to me and, and tried to convince me that there were human beings living on the face of the sun unaided by any type of technological advance to, to protect them, um, I don't lack a belief in sun humans. I, I don't believe in sun humans. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, if I say, you know, sun humans don't exist, do I have a burden of proof? Sure, but it's so small. All I need to say is, you know, look how hot the sun is, look how sunburnt you get on a sunny day here on Earth. Um, no, there are no sun humans, um, and and for you to prove it otherwise, um, you need to you need to prove that it's true. Otherwise, I, you know, I don't need I don't have a very heavy burden of proof just to show that it's ridiculous. Um, 
atheists don't need all these type of weird sound bites. They a, a lot of times it's it's the Christians' own doubts and our own. I mean, when when we talk about Balaam's donkey and a talking donkey. I mean, none of us are like, if that wasn't in scripture, most of us would be like, okay, come on. Like, really? Uh, and, and it's just that level, that, that minor level of incredulity um, and, our, and kind of our own, our own doubt. And atheists, all they really need to do to get a foothold with our, with our youth and with our children and even with our adults is just to go, really, a talking donkey? And, and that, that's actually one of the strongest tools in an atheist's arsenal. Um, they don't need to go do all this crazy other stuff. Um, and so what, what we need is, is much more robust um, training and education for, for youth and understanding the scripture and understanding the nature of God and understanding redemptive history and, 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 and his purposes and understanding the nature of miracles. And so even when we come across something where we're like, okay, a talking donkey, um, it's not, you know, e- even if you're just like, okay, yeah, that, that's weird. It's, you know, if it wasn't in the scripture, I wouldn't believe it. Um, even when it comes to something like that, we can where where we might have you know a shadow of a doubt. Um, it's not it doesn't become central because it's because it's not like our entire faith, like you said earlier with inspiration. It's not like our entire faith rises and falls on that that low level of incredulity. And so we really need to help raise our children to learn how to think and to learn how to be to learn how to to handle and answer the doubts. And what do you do when you have a doubt? Um, uh, you know, I, I taught a class on apologetics in, in our adult Sunday school class. And I said, you know, if you don't, if you don't remember how to defend the ontological argument when we're done, that's fine. Keep the resources though. So if someone, if someone asks you about something, if someone asks you about one, one of these biblical passages, um, you know, we did, we went over the talking donkey. We went over the, you know, the bears mauling the, the 42 children, we went over these things. And if someone, if someone presents you with an objection, even if you can't rattle off the answer at the top of your head because you haven't said it a hundred times, have the resources in the back of your brain to say, you know, I don't have an answer, but I know where to look. I, I know who to connect you with. I know maybe what website to recommend to you to start your search. I, you know, have those types of those types of resources um, so that even if you can't answer all of your children's objections and questions and doubts and all that kind of stuff. Get them in connection with people who can, you know, turn turn them on to your podcast and on my podcast, turn them on to, you know, some of the the, the work of your 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 uh, your father in law, turn them on to, you know, the those 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 sort resources that will help answer those questions and help them find answers. Because a lot of times the answers aren't a hundred percent, but they're robust enough um, to 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 give us to give us comfort that there that there is a good and reasonable answer to it. You know, I'd like to remind everyone that you're listening to a Deeper Waters podcast. Right now we're talking with Todd Ravella about his book, Measuring McAfee, and respond to internet atheism and such. I mean, if you're listening next week, now, like Todd, I don't really go into the science issues, but I am very interested in the history of science and the interplay between science and religion. So we're going to be talking a little bit about the interplay between science and religion next week. And I have coming on next show next week two people, Catherine Applegate and J.B. Stump. They're the editors of the book, How I Changed My Mind About Evolution, Evangelicals Reflect on Faith and Science. And it's going to be a very interesting show. I think it's going to introduce a lot of Christians to a very different viewpoint. But I hope you'll be able to stick around and listen and enjoy the show. But for now, let's get back to title talking about 
David McAfee and internet atheism and such. And I really like something you said about having someone in the church that you can go to, because I've had this idea for a while that when you go to your average church now, you'll find the minister, the minister of worship, the youth minister, maybe the minister of administration, all these other ministers of such and such. I have a dream that someday churches will have an office of minister of apologetics, where there will be at least one person in every congregation who, okay, this is the go-to guy for these kinds of questions, because, I mean, I understand that a lot of pastors, they have to do counseling, they have to do administrative, they have to do their own personal Bible study, they have to prepare a sermon, they have to do hospital visitations, they have to spend time with their own families, things of that sort. Sometimes reading the latest biblical scholarship and apologetics just doesn't really fit into a schedule that easily. I mean, I think they should have the basics at least, but the in-depth stuff they don't always have time for. And it'd be great if every church, I mean, if, if they do have time for it, that's wonderful, but if, if every church had at least one go-to person, you could be, okay, mom, dad, when your children are having doubts, when you're having doubts, go talk to this guy. Yeah, I think that would be that would be a huge, huge help to to really any any church to have um, someone at the church that's maybe a go to or can help train other people or, or have the resources and the knowledge to, to point people in the right direction. Yeah. Now, when you and I have been interacting with McAfee, I mean, you and me and Elijah Thompson and a few others, we used to post fairly frequently on some of the things he put on his Facebook page in. I don't think you're doing it as much anymore, but I stopped just because, I mean, it was getting boring and tedious, really, because it'd be the same old things that you've answered a million times already, and every atheist thinks it's just a golden refutation argument, and it's, I'm sorry, this one is so far off the charts that you don't even know what you're talking about, and you can't really talk about it because they don't really speak the same language of academics that they'd like to think they do. Yeah, that that's actually something that I point out in in the book review, um, and it's kind of an intangible, and it's it's hard it, it's hard to relay this to somebody who doesn't have any um, any area of expertise um, or any area that they're well researched in. I mean, you and I you and I aren't scholars. We're we're trying to work ourselves to that. You know, we're working our masters and probably PhDs eventually, and w- would like to get there. Um, but but we are we're we're both pretty well read. We we spend basically our free time reading and thinking about these things and reading scholarship and engaging with it. Um, and there's a level of familiarity with kind of a technical jargon that that comes along with every discipline, such that when when an outsider comes in and starts talking about something or or, or starts kind of in, in 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 a lot of these atheist cases starts pontificating about something, um, you can tell right away just in how they talk about things and how they use terms or don't use terms um, the the right way or at all um, that they haven't done any research um, that they that they that they aren't conversant with with scholarship um, at, at all on these issues um, and McAfee is that way mm-hmm. um, most atheists are that way um, so you you can really tell just in their use of jargon or the lack of use of jargon 
that you're dealing with someone who really is ignorant. And and that and, and I don't mean that in a mean way. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, I you know. I really enjoy conversations um, about World War II history. I'm not an expert by any means. Um, I, you know, I, I, I haven't done a ton of research about it. I'm, I'm very ignorant about a lot of things. It's just mm. it's a topic that I that I that I enjoy talking about. Um, but I don't go in and I don't tell people who are very well versed. Well, no, you're stupid and you're wrong and you're illogical. And this is this is why this really shallow caricature is so much better than your position. I just don't do that because I recognize I, I'm I'm the ignorant one. I, I'm I'm the one who haven't who haven't researched and haven't read on it. But atheists don't do this because for them, religion isn't something worth studying. It's stupid, and so you don't study it, and so it it turns into this vicious downward you know circling the toilet bowl uh, cycle where because they think it's stupid. They don't study it. And since they don't study it, they come to more and more ignorant, straw man, shallow versions of religion, which makes them think it's even more stupid. And so it makes them less likely to study and and, and down and down it goes, um, which um, is, I think, what, what, what you know, I, I think I've just described probably 90 percent of our conversations with online atheists. Yeah. Nine uh, percent. I think you're going for the bare minimum, right there. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a lowball estimate. Yeah, and the the comparison I usually make is when I meet. See, when I started reading the new atheists when they came out and such, I mean, I realized if you read Richard Dawkins's book, say the Blind Watchmaker and such, I wasn't convinced by it, but at the same time, but this is a very well reasoned book. It's very well written. It's very articulate. The author citing good sources, he knows what he's talking about, etc. Now you turn over to the God delusion. You would never think, unless you saw a cover of it, it was by the exact same person. Yeah. Because he's writing about things he doesn't know anything about, and it's quite clear. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to follow the exact same principle that I'm advocating now and saying that if I do not study a subject at all, really... I'm not going to comment on it. And so, what I do is when I meet Christians, for instance, want to talk about evolution. That's my favorite example to use because practically every atheist you meet will hold to evolution. And yet, there are, a lot of them would be Jesus mythicists. They don't seem to see that they mock creationism for being a minority opinion, and yet mythicism is even more of a minority opinion than that. And so what I tell Christians, I say, look, if you want to debate evolution, God bless you, okay? I am not going to take sides in that debate, really. It, it, the outcome doesn't matter to me, really. But if you want to debate it, at least do this. Go out Study the best scientists you can find. Learn to speak the language of science. Learn to make arguments that are scientific. And if evolution falls, and it's not my call if it will or not, since I'm not a scientist and I can't comment, really, but if it falls, let it fall because it's bad science. Don't make it be the Bible versus science, because skeptics will always go with science, then. Make it be science versus science. If it's bad science, show it. If not, stay out of it. 
Yeah, yeah. I, you and I take largely the same the same tack when it comes to things like evolution. Um, I just I I haven't studied it beyond you know my undergraduate one class I had in biology. Um, and even then, it's not like in biology you're studying evolution. You're studying, you know, what constitutes a cell and and things like that. So, you know, I, I just, I, it's just, we don't have time to study every topic, and it's just one topic I haven't studied, and so I stay out of it. Now, I, I will say that um, uh, for for some Christians and their interpretation of Genesis, um, evolution is is a very problematic issue, and I think that's why they go into it. But if, if but if you're going to go into it. Take the time and the diligence to study it. Um, there, there. You know, I, 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 I commonly give the example when I'm talking to atheists, and I say, "Look, your your understanding of this issue that has to do with Christianity or the Bible, or whatever it is, uh, is is exactly like the Christian who doesn't understand evolution and says, "Well, if we evolved from monkeys, then why are there still monkeys?" Yes. Like that's a stupid understanding of evolution. It's just dumb. Like I, I, I'm sorry. It's just that's it's, it's just it. That's not evolutionary theory. Um, it, it, it's you know sometimes it gets a little more nuanced. You know some some Christians will 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 try to engage evolution and and as if evolution works on individuals rather than on populations. Um, and 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 there you know it gets that gets a little bit more nuanced. And so sometimes I use that example when I'm when I'm talking to someone. But but the point is 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 look if if you know if you don't like people dealing with very shallow superficial you know ignorant misunderstandings of, of something that you you believe don't do it to other people mm-hmm. um, and so Christians if if you don't like someone doing that to to us don't do it with evolution even if it's going to be vital to your interpretation of Genesis one uh, uh, you know one through three um, I don't particularly hold to interpretation that, that it really is that problematic to. Um, so it's, so it's just not an issue for me, which is always, which is also kind of funny because when I talk to atheists and they're like, Oh, well, evolution disproves the Bible. And I'm, I'm like, Oh no, did it, you know, it really doesn't. <laughs> and they're like, Oh yes, it does because, because of X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, you, you realize, uh, that unless you're kind of, uh, you know, post-Darwinian um, fundamentalist, young Earth creationist, literalist—it's—it's um, it's not a problem, um, and it wouldn't have been a problem for for most Christians until you know, kind of ramping up to the Scopes trial. Um, it's just not an issue for most of us. Um, so it, it, it's a good example where we see that they're they're engaging. Um, with a lot of times their upbringing, because a lot of times we're dealing with atheists who came out of um, very fundamentalistic, very legalistic, um, often charismatic, anti-intellectual church traditions. And so for them, that's just what Christianity is. And because they were brought up kind of in these anti-intellectualist traditions, they weren't brought up to read contrary positions and to study contrary positions. And so that that framework of thinking still holds when they're an atheist, right? So they still don't uh, study and read contrary positions. They, they are still functionally anti-intellectualist, even though now they're going to they're going to overtly say things like, well, reason and logic and, and research are, are good and, and and meaningful. And what they really mean is, you know, I heart science. Um, and, that, and that's about it. And not even good science. I mean, it's just, it's weird, uh, the, their kind of love affair with science. And I, and I don't mean that as a denigration of science. Uh, you know, I, I love science. I really appreciate science. Um, but they'll, they'll often confuse, um, 
again, which is weird, they'll, they'll confuse um, a blogger's statement, which is a summary uh, usually of someone else's blog that they read somewhere about some scientific finding as if that's science. Mm-hmm. Um, which is which is weird, and and they'll treat science as if it's a thing, um, like like science tells us. Mm-hmm. No, science doesn't tell us anything. So science is the methods by which we which we uncover and and do research and and, and discover data. Um, the scientist still needs to interpret the data and put it within a framework, and it, it's just it, it's it's. I'm sure you'll get into all that kind of stuff when you're dealing on your next episode that you that you that you talked about. But it's just it's it's strange um their their interaction with with science and with each other and um so yeah but yeah outside of these these kind of interplay between science and religion like you i don't get into scientific um theories themselves um more kind of philosophy of science yeah you know when you were talking about reading current frame material i mean but thing i've been thinking about is that usually when and i was thinking even before you says that usually when i'm in in the debate with these atheists, after a while, I was asked one question, and I honestly do not remember the last time I got an answer to this question. I've been asking it for a long time, and just go to them and say, okay, when was the last time you read a scholarly academic work that disagrees with you? Yeah, I asked the same thing. It's funny. I asked the same question, and I'm with you. I can't think of a time when someone has answered, Yeah, ever. Uh, usually you get the answer of, well, I don't need to because it's stupid. Mm. Uh, that, that's, that's usually the answer or, um, you know, changing the topic very quickly. I've actually started asking, um, and you can try this. I've started asking, when was the last time you read a scholarly um, article or book that agrees with you? <laughs> um, wow. I, I can't remember uh, really, you know, I'll, I'll get, you know, I read The God Delusion. Um, or, you know, I read, uh, I read, you know, the, the manual for creating atheists, um, or something like that. I, I, it's, it's very, very rare, um, that they'll even read scholars on their own side. Uh, because again, I mean, you, you don't get to be a scholar, um, without being able to handle and charitably view usually, um, the, the opposing view. Um, and so scholarship tends to be much more moderate on issues. Even if you disagree with something, it tends to be a much more moderate engagement, um, where you really see the strengths and weaknesses of both sides and you address, you know, you address it that way. Um, and that just doesn't work with kind of the ax grinding narrative of these new atheists. Yeah, I can say reading some scholarly material in the New Testament, but I've disagreed with, I mean, there are times I'll read something, huh? That's a good point. I hadn't really considered things in that way before, and reading the other side really helps temper my view and makes me think, okay, that's a point I hadn't considered, and you know, maybe that, that in fact, it might in fact explain a biblical passage for me, or explain something better that I actually used to think Christianity, or could say, hmm, where that goes against an argument that I've been using, me looking at, well, wow, this guy is right, okay, and I have to change my view then. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've, I've done that a lot with a lot of commentaries from, from positions that I don't necessarily agree with their overall scope or their overall understanding or their view of Scripture or anything like that. And, but they've very, uh, very often helped me understand a, a certain passage because, you know, by common grace, they can still do good historical research. They can still do good literary analysis and, uh, and exegesis of the actual, you know, language and grammar and syntax. And there, there's a lot of kind of common grace learning that you can do from positions um, that, that disagree with you. Uh, you know, I, I just recently did a series on Molinism. I love William Lane Craig. I'm a huge yeah. fan of William Lane Craig. You know, I, I have a different ap- apologetical uh, method. You know, I'm presuppositionalist. He's not, even though some of his arguments, he's he's kind of getting there. <laughs> um, you know, he's he, he's not a presuppositionalist, but he's he's starting to kind of um, get into more transcendental arguments. Um, but I but I cannot disagree with him more on Molinism. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but I, I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, I, I use his work often and frequently, um, and and I read as much of his stuff and 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 some other people on Molinism as I could before I did, you know, my engagements of it. And and my episodes for anyone who listened to him are, you know, I do not hold punches for how much I disagree with Molinism. Um, but I'm, I I hugely appreciate William Lane Craig. Um, that type of ability is just missing from from so many um, from so many atheists, and we really should qualify because right now, you know, if you have any atheists listening, they're gonna they're gonna be throwing up their hands in despair, and I mean, these guys hate atheists. Look, there 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 are clearly exceptions to this. I, I mean, I, I've had many atheists on my show who I consider. Um, uh, reasonable, clear thinkers, smart guys that don't engage in this type of rhetoric. I mean, we should nuance it by saying, usually when we're saying atheists here, we kind of mean the the new atheist, online infidel type of uh, anti-intellectual uh, atheists that just parrot Dawkins and and infidels.org. Right, atheists and, uh, that good atheists should condemn themselves. Yeah, and that, and that's what I was going to say. So I recently had a couple of atheists on. I had Corey Markham and I had Alex Starr on my show. And the purpose of it really was to have atheists criticize atheists. It didn't quite work out that way. Um, there were some areas where they weren't willing to criticize, which I found – I thought that conversation was very interesting for, for many reasons. Um, but one of my challenges to to the atheists in my life, the smarter kind of reasonable thinker ones, is why don't you guys correct your own? Like it's very it's very rare when we're on Unbelievable where the atheists will side with the Christians – and against the other atheists and be like, look, you guys are being dumb. Like that's just that's just a stupid argument. But how often do the Christians side with the atheists when a Christian's being ridiculous and be like, okay, knock it off? Yeah. Like we do it all the time. Right. Um, but but you just don't have that within atheism, and I, and I'm not sure how much of that's sociological. Alex, who was on the show, had a really interesting kind of theory about it. It's kind of that the 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 movements in its infancy, and they don't want to kind of rock the boat. And um, you know, the movement is more important than than you know. Um, uh, critiquing one atheist in one blog somewhere, uh, I think sometimes they're just they're just as over it as we are, and just throw their hands up in despair and move on, and don't think it's worth the fight or whatever. But part of me wants to be like, look, those those people, um, even if we even if we're so charitable, which look, I, I I think this is astronomically too low. Even if we say that you know the online atheists, the, these kind of infidel atheists, are like ten percent of the atheist movement. 
um, which in all my experiences, I'm going to say, I, I think they're probably much more upwards of like 75%, uh, 80%. Uh, but even if we just say like, look, even if they're minimally 10%, they are taking up 95% of your airwaves. Um, they, they are, they are the ones that are setting the reputation of atheists worldwide, um, in, in the public mind and to Christians and, and everyone, um, if only for that reason, like jump into the fray, correct your own, um, you know, ha- have some accountability um, on these things. Stop inviting people um, like David Silver um, to be the head of your atheist organizations and stop inviting David McAfee to be your keynote speaker and stop, you know, stop doing that. Um, why don't people um, like Michael Ruse or Graham Oppie um, or, or Tim O'Neill or any of these people um, why aren't these the people that you guys are inviting to your conventions to speak? Yeah. Uh, like because to, they don't they don't fit the narrative. Yeah, well, I'd like to remind everyone at this point that you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast, and everything we do here is listener supported. We depend on people like you. And if you want to help out, just go to our website at. Uh, deeperwaters.ddns.net, and on the side there's a Section that says help support the work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. There is a link there, and if you click that link, it will take you to a page of Risen Jesus. Have you gone on the right page? Yes, as a title mentioned earlier, it's the page of my in laws, Mike and Debbie Lacona. And my mother in law is a financial guru and a, a tax accountant for clergy, so she handles the donations that come in and Make sure I get all the legal issues and such taken care of. And if you go there, you make your donation, you contact her or Mike or myself or Allie and say, Hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. And if you do that, then we will be getting that donation. It will be set aside for us. And if you can become monthly donors, that works even better. That means so much to us. I mean, every time we get a new donor and such coming, it just gives us more hope and cheer. It, it's such a highlight. You have no idea how much it means to us. And then there's books. I have a few books on Amazon that I've either written or co-written, but one I've written is an e-book called A Creed for the Ages, The Apostles' Creed and Today's Christian. And Others I've co-written are Defining Inerrancy, or Groundless, or a book on the problem of evil, which I did a debate with an atheist on. And then there's Jewelry. Guys, I'm not sure if you've noticed it yet, but women seem to like jewelry, and you can get in on very good terms with them that way. You can make up for that past screw-up that you've done with your woman, or you can make up that future screw-up that you know you're going to do with her. So go there, and uh, the site is Premier Jewelers. There's a link on my page if you need some help get in touch with me. And my friend Lena Cluster handles that. And whatever you buy from her, if you, if you mention Deeper Waters, Terrors for Deeper Waters, 25% of what you purchase will go to Deeper Waters. And if you can't do any of this, guys, get in touch with me. Tell me things like how you appreciate the show, maybe guests you'd like to see on. I can't promise any guests, but we'll see. And please go to Amazon and leave a positive review. Tyler's done it. I really appreciate that. I've done it for his show, and I'd encourage you to listen to that. 
But I, I check every now and then. I love seeing the reviews, so please do make it. It it's so encouraging. You have no idea how much, and we really need that in this for Europe. So donate financially if you can. If not, donate prayerfully and with a note of encouragement. Tyler, do you have an organization or charity you'd like to see people donate to? Um, I, I don't have one, and, and I don't want to, you know, uh, ask your donors to donate to, to my podcast. Um, uh, but but I do. I, one of the things that I always recommend um, in these types of issues is, you know, if, if make sure that you're tithing to your local church, uh, make sure that you're, you know, you're giving prayerfully to your current body, um, and and if you have any um, uh, extra resources um, to help try to help a missionary um, that's that's taking the gospel to to people that need to hear it. You know, to get back to what you're talking about, I think it's really great you said about how we uh, clean house for our own women. My wife will sometimes watch these videos that atheists put online about uh, crazy Christians and such, and frankly, 99% of them, I'd really agree with, especially when you go to a lot of these televangelists, the Joel Osteen types and such. The thing is, if you want to see the people who are arguing against them the most, it's for Christians out there. Yeah. We're cleaning our own house and we're telling people, don't listen to these people. They're dangerous. They're not healthy for you and such. But you go to so many atheist pages and all of the worst examples of thinking in atheism are championed out there. And the only words I think I need to say to demonstrate this are Jesus mythicism. That is <laughs> enough right there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, I think a really good um, there's a couple of ways that we can use this apologetically too. Um, this this helps us to answer a couple objections that that they'll that they'll present to us. The, the first one is, you know, oh, well, there's thirty two thousand different denominations. Um, which is already way overstated because they'll count different denominations that believe, you know, if you count all the different reform Presbyterian denominations, you're probably talking, you know, a couple hundred. We believe like 99.9% of the same things. Um, we just have different denominations because, you know, maybe we're seeking a different demographic or we're in a different geographical, geographical location or, um, you know, you might have different primary languages. So there's Korean Presbyterian churches and there's Chinese Presbyterian churches and the, you know they're, they're, the the denominational thing is is so over over counted but um one of the things we can point out is well a lot of times you know the these have there's denominational splits um precisely because we're critical of of our views um we're, it, it's it's precisely because you know I, i'm i'm a reformed presbyterian uh, precisely because i believe certain things that make me reject those televangelists mm-hmm. um that that make me reject uh you know Joel Austin and things like that and so when when the atheist shares something with me that's that's someone saying something just that's crazy i say yeah i agree with you you know th- thanks for showing me that uh, you know, I agree with you. That's ridiculous. Uh, I probably think it's ridiculous for different reasons than you do, uh, Mister Atheist. Uh, but y- yeah, that that that's dumb. You know, when, um, the, go ahead. You know, when you brought the denomination thing, that's so odd because that's one time that David McAfee took a screenshot of something I said because he made this post about all these denominations, just like you did, and I replied and said, "Okay, here's a question for you." What is a denomination? Because, I mean, the main point is once you start answering that question, you start to see 
how ridiculous the whole thing is. Instead, he took a shot of that post, multiplied what is the denomination, and set up on his own thread, which is a tactic he's done in the past of, oh, look how dumb these Christians were arguing against are. I mean, I don't know if he was thinking that, I was saying, denomination? I don't know what that is and such. Yeah. And, you know, he's, I'm just thinking, think, you really don't have a clue. In fact, but you're just taking that out and not showing any context and highlighting as if it's some great victory for you or something. Shows me you just don't know what you're talking about here. Yeah, and it's actually it's gotten kind of it's gotten. I mean, that that's a normal tactic for him, but it's gotten kind of funny too. So you know, you know the Sunday Assembly, the the atheist church movement yep. or whatever it is. So they've only been around for I think two years or something, um, and I think they've already split three times. Mm. So you already have like three atheist denominations in like a year and a half or two years, um, three different groups where they couldn't. And again, it's not because they believe different things. It's because they didn't agree on mission. They didn't agree at who their target audience was. And so they split. Mm-hmm. Um and, and I use this to atheists, and I say, look, you, you guys do it too. You guys have only been, you know, had your quote unquote church for two years. You have three denominations already. What do you think is going to happen after you guys have been around for two thousand years? Mm-hmm. Um, and you've gone international, and you've, you know, you, you've you, all this kind of stuff. It's just, it, it, it's so, it's so funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, but the other way this is really helpful is. Um, it's not that it's not that I want to say you know like there's true Christians and not true Christians. I'm not, I'm not trying to make that statement, although I could. Um, there there was recently that 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 Unitarian or was it a Unitarian or, or uh, Episcopal Church or something in Canada um, where the pastor came out as an atheist and the denomination was basically saying, look, they they were fighting about whether they should they they should revoke her credentials uh, or revoke her call um, and 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 require her to to step down, um, which is always interesting. You, you, you know you've gone too far if a uh, hyper-liberal uh, denomination is considering mm-hmm. revoking your credentials. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing was that the, like, the entire congregation was like, nope, we still want her to be our pastor. She's an atheist. Um, what does that tell you about the orthodoxy and the religious life of that congregation? Um so just because something says church on the building, um, you know, you, you could point to these crazy, crazy, crazy ministers. Um, and just because they have thousands of people following them doesn't mean that it's a representation of, of, of Christianity or of Jesus Christ. Um, I, I've, I've long said that I, I do not consider Joel Austin's quote unquote church a church. Um, I think there are Christians who attend and they need to get their butts to an actual church. Um, but I, I think he's much more of um, kind of a Christian, almost like a Christian conference than a church, um, much more uh, um, self-help than anything else where a bunch of where a bunch of ostensibly Christian people gather to get self-help, um, which, you know, in the context of counseling, you know, I, I think of Joel Osteen was a Christian counselor. Uh, and wasn't running, you know, something that he says is a church. I don't think ninety nine percent of us would would give one flying care about that. Yeah, my wife um, and I have suggested motivational speaker. Yeah, motivational speaker. Do that. You know, I, I still would disagree with your with your your theology and your message, um, but I wouldn't really care that much. The fact that you are drawing, you know, twenty five thousand people away from legitimate churches on Sundays, mm-hmm. um, you need to stop doing that. <laughs> um, but uh, that the the fact that 
just because of the fact that there's thousands of people who watch these televangelists doesn't really say much, I think. Um, and I think what happened in Canada was a good example. You could have you could have all these people that say they're you know they're at a church and they're going to church and they're you know they're Christians, um, but they're absolutely fine with having an atheist pastor. Yeah, when I was with my wife sometime recently, and she was watching this thing on YouTube on the television of I don't know what's called or anything, but it was a story about a church. And they were putting on a play for either Christmas or Easter. And we had someone who played Jesus every year. And he sort of came out to the congregation and said, Hey, I'm a, I'm a Buddhist now. And the whole thing was, You know, we disagree with you, but we love you and we accept you in such. And, and I was watching him and said, What do you think about that? And I said, You know, it's touching and such, but what really saddens me so much is you have this congregation which I'm sure is full of good Christian people and such, but... Here they say we've been following Jesus for our whole lives, and people say, oh, Jesus means everything to me, I love him so much, but then when you come up to him and ask, okay, why do you believe Jesus, what difference does it make, what about these other positions out there? They don't have a clue what to say about it, and you kind of have to wonder, how much do you really love Jesus if this is supposed to be the most central area of your life, and you haven't really thought about it a bit yeah, I mean, how much, how much, how much would you think that I love my wife if you were like, oh, tell me about your wife, and I was like, oh, I, you know, I don't really need to know anything about my wife. Mm -hmm. Like, I, you know, I don't, I don't need to read her letters to me. I, I don't, I don't really need to spend time with her. Right? Mm -hmm. I just, I just love my wife. What, what, what is about your wife you, you love? Oh well, you know, I, I just I don't I don't think I need to put I don't you know I don't need to put words to it. I, I don't need to know anything about my wife, right? I mean, you you would just be like, he does not, hey, <laughs> he I, does not I, love I, his I, wife whatsoever. I could take it even further. But what if you said, well, you know, my wife just she just makes me feel really really good. She she just brings so much joy into my life and such. Okay, well, what about her? Uh, I just don't know that much about her. I mean, you now you would say you don't really love your wife much. You say that man is using his wife. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what we have often going on in our church. That is a more therapeutic deism. We talk about that. We don't know about Jesus. We just know how he makes us feel and such. <laughs> Yeah, and and I think that you know that that is the overall climate. I have largely stopped calling myself an evangelical, mm. um, not because I don't um, hold to what historically is evangelicalism. I don't identify with most of what evangelicalism is today, mm. um, and um, and and I think that largely American evangelicalism, just like you pointed out, has become kind of a moralistic, therapeutic deism, where I, I you know I. I I have very serious doubts that that most people who populate our churches not well not most but huge numbers of people who populate our churches just aren't saved they just they don't know Jesus Christ um and and really which is sad um I think it's a I think it's a call to the Christians in the church and a call to the pastors and uh, and, and you know the people who are who are leading kind of the you know the church growth movement and seeker sensitive movements and all those kinds of all those kinds of things to to really you know repent and to return to the gospel. But at the same time, when when I hear statistics about you know uh, the 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 rise of the nuns, yeah, um, I'm not surprised. Mm -hmm. Like that's not surprise. They're they're not stealing sheep. They're stealing goats. Mm -hmm. um, and and that doesn't 
surprise me at all. I'm actually surprised that there aren't more, you know, goats leaving the church, um, especially in this in this time and age where you know the 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 preaching of the gospel really is going to start running countercultural, um, well not start, but really should be you know countercultural to a lot of what we hold um, near and dear as as American Christians. Uh, I, I I you know I try to constantly be confronted um, with the teaching of the scriptures because I recommend I, I recognize that I am in many ways far too American. Yeah. Um, in, in, in not good ways, um, you know, far too interested in comfort and, and, and creaturely comforts and um, not necessarily prosperity, but feeling, um, you know, financially comfortable um, and, and, you know, um, the, those types of issues, kind of that consumeristic impulse, that entertainment impulse that's in most of us. Christianity should cut counter to that. It should really call us out of ourselves. Um, and if you're not being challenged at your church um, to, to to repent and return to, to trusting in Christ alone as the sufficiency for for um, your your life and your happiness and your joy and 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 all of that, then um, uh, really examine what is being preached at at your church. But when atheists then come along, when you have Bogosian and his, you know, quote unquote, street epistemologists that come to church and they're they're, you know, rocking people's worlds. Um, part of me just wonders, you know, whose world are they rocking? I don't I don't know many devout, um, you know, biblically informed Christians that are going to be that bothered by it. Um, but I know a lot of shallow, superficial Christians that will. Um, so, you know, a call to apologists, um, you know, make sure that you're taking what you do online and bring it into the church. Make sure that you are helping um, Christians to, to know what they believe, why they believe. Correct. I mean, part of apologetics um, is theology. We should be correcting error um, as well. So um, we, we need to make sure that, that you know, kind of like how you're using your master's and you're applying it to life. Um, we need to make sure as Christian apologists that we're um, taking our apologetics and we're doing it within the church as well. Yeah, there was an irony here with something else, right, what you're talking about reminds me of something about a lot of internet atheists and a lot of Christians sadly have in common is that a lot of Christians don't know how to defend their faith. They just have their personal testimony, and as soon as that's done, they've got nothing left. Now, I'm not against personal testimonies entirely, but I think a personal testimony should kind of be like the cherry on top of a devastating argument, the best argument you make where you can say, well, here's all the reasons for being a Christian such, and then here's the difference that Christianity has made in my life. And yet when I encounter many atheists, it's amazing how often it happens. One of the first things they'll start telling me is, in fact, their personal testimony of how they became an atheist. And I'm usually thinking, you know, I bet when you were a Christian and you gave a personal testimony, it probably didn't work that well. Why do you think it suddenly improved now that you're an atheist? Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the funny thing is, so I was, I was going to ask you, you, you know, who else has personal testimony? Um, everyone. Yes. So, you know, personal testimonies are, are only good insofar as they're illustrations of the truth and, and what, what, you know, the true God has done in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, what I, what I find really interesting when talking with atheists, a lot of times, um, you know, their personal testimony, um, reveals again what they're objecting to and it, and it reveals usually the type of life that they were objecting to is very usually um, not always but very often it was very legalistic very closed um, they they were not allowed to question they were not allowed to doubt and so the you know coming to atheism um, obviously would feel like liberation 
um, they would feel like they were freed, like they were liberated because now they can think and they can question and they can feel and um, and they can have sex and they can do, you know, everything else, uh, which, by the way, they say that that's, you know, uh, you know, that's not the reason. But it, it, it plays into a huge portion um, of people's personal testimonies. What I found, it's, it's a very common thread. Um, but what but what is interesting that you don't find um, I've never heard an atheist say that when I came to atheism, I gave up drinking mm. and I gave up drugs and I, you know, I was no longer, I was no longer depressed unless the depression was directly related to an oppressive religion. Right. Right. But you never have someone who is like, oh, you know, I, I was, I was existentially depressed just because of life. Um, and atheism, um, has, you know, has, has, you know, turned me from that. Um, or, you know, I was, I was, uh, you know, I was a womanizer, um, and I, you know, I, I committed adultery left and right. But when I came to atheism, um, you know, I, I learned to be a better person, right? That, those types of testimonies are never there. Um, now that's not, that's not, you know, to say therefore Christian testimonies that have that are therefore true, right. um, Right. Because you could have that under Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or Muslims or, or, or you know, all, all kinds of other things. It's just Mormons punt their testimony constantly. Yeah. All the time. It's so, you know, that that doesn't make that it's true. But, you know, as Christians, evangelism is, is not your personal testimony. Um, you know, your personal testimony can play a part, but you should be pointing people back to Jesus Christ. Um, when when P, when when Peter's talking about it and he says, you know, prepare to give an answer for the hope that is in you, um, your personal testimony and your changed life is not the hope that is in you. It's the it's the glorious return of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. um, you know, rooted in the rooted in the resurrection. That 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 is the foundation for our hope that's in us. Um, so so really, that's what we should be giving a defense for. And and if your testimony is a part of that defense, great. Um, but you need to be able to have more than that. You need to be able to present Christ and Him crucified, um, and Him and Him raised from the dead, like you were saying, the resurrection. Um, to to an unbelieving world, that's 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 the power, right? I mean, Paul doesn't say, um, you know, my testimony, my my uh, Damascus Road experience is the power of God into salvation. Yeah. Uh, no, it's it's the gospel that is the power of God into salvation. Yeah, in fact, that's uh, something a lot of skeptics would come about and say. Well, you know, Paul doesn't really say about much about his Damascus Road experience in the epistles, and hardly says a thing about it. And I was like, well. Yeah, that's because for Paul, it's not about him. He's yeah. really secondary to it. And in our American context, a lot of times, what it is is usually it's where it's all about me. It's all about what Christianity has done for me. That's what makes a difference. Thing when we lived in Knoxville, there was a, a car dealership at a commercial, and I, I groaned every time I I saw it because it. And anyway, we say we're coming to us store where it's all about you and I said I always said as if I don't think about myself enough to begin with already yeah yeah and that's and that I mean we see that trajectory in Paul right because yeah. it's you know it, if you if you put the books um you know in in order that that Paul is writing we see that the the really it's not just a progression; it's actually a digression. Where where he goes from saying, you know, I, I was, you know, the the least of least of all, you know, the Pharisees to, you know, I I was the least of the apostles to finally, it's actually at the end of his ministry, you know, towards the end when he starts saying, you know, more than that, I'm the chief of all sinners. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this very weird. Um, uh, part of sanctification where it's actually the more sanctified you become, yeah. 
the more aware of how destitute and how sinful you are and the more uh, gratitude you have for Jesus Christ. Mm. Um, you know, it, it, it's not that you become holy and holy and holy and therefore you become holier than thou. Mm. Um, the more holy you become, the more like Christ you become, the more you realize how undone without Christ you would have been. Um, and and that's that's an important thing to remember. So, yeah, when, when Paul thinks back to, you know, on his, when he's looking back at his life, his testimony is not the the key you know the his conversion is not the key thing christ and his resurrection is the key thing yeah i remember being at a men's group once a really good church that we were at in knoxville we even have a pastor come on before and we were talking about paul and how someone said you know i just wish i could have faith like paul you know far back but you know that's a noble thing to have i think that's something we should all want and i wrote a post about it and said if you want to have a faith like Paul, what you're going to have to do is have a world view shift like Paul, where you come to realize how much a difference it makes to mean that when you say that Jesus is a promised Messiah, if you do not understand how much of a difference it makes, you will not have a faith like Paul. And I mean, I'll go out and say it, I'm not there yet. I'm definitely not there yet, but yeah. I'm working on it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, we Paul tells us to be to be imitators of him. It's one of the only times we're we're supposed to be imitators of of a person, but really, it's we're to be imitators of uh, of him imitating Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's a very good point. Yeah. I mean, we got a few minutes left here. I mean, we're not here to final thoughts, but when we're encountering people like McAfee and such, ain't. What what would you say to atheist listeners who might be listening in who have been enthralled by McAfee or such in the past? Maybe they still are. Maybe they're thinking, you know, maybe I should rethink what I was thinking. What would you say to people caught up by internet atheism today? Um, I, I mean, I would say look into it. Um, I mean, just just take a moment, and when something when something comes up. Um, ask you know, try to think of it from the other side and say, what you know, how would a how would a Christian respond? Um, and if your if your response is oh they, they you know they would respond exactly how McAfee says they would respond, um, do more research. Mm. Um, you know, pick up pick up my book, read your review of his book. You know, look into some other some other things. Um, you know, if if this is if this is a topic that you um, want to engage in if you if you want to if you want to be involved in debates on these issues, you're going to have to do better than this. Um, otherwise, um, you're either going to be spinning your wheels or you're going to get really angry. Um, and I think I've seen that with a lot of atheists where they just they just either spin their wheels and they just start repeating and parroting themselves um, or they just get more and more angry and more and more intolerant and more and more bigoted really um, against Christians and against uh, religious people. Um, and, and they just – they start coming across as very, very, very hateful. Um, and, and it, you know, to, to avoid that, just if, if you're going to go into these, just study, just read, um, you know, pick up, pick up a book, uh, find some resources and, and, and start engaging the, the academic conversation that happens, um, and, and kind of leave the blogosphere behind. Um, so, so to speak. I think one thing I'd add to it is, I mean, memes can be funny illustrations of arguments and such. But never ever use a meme as an argument, and just because it's a meme, it doesn't mean it's true. Please fact check these memes. 
Yeah, I, I always I always laugh because the, you've probably come across this so many times where they'll, they'll, they'll put up a meme. It's supposed to be funny. It's so wrong. It's so inaccurate. And we point out that like, oh, you know, it's just a joke. And it's like, OK, but you shared it not just because it's funny. You shared it because you think it's an accurate criticism. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and if you read the comments of the people responding, they'll comment. Oh, yeah, those those Christians are so stupid. Well, if you're sharing it as a joke and you recognize that it's not accurate, then the Christians aren't stupid. Um, and so when we comment and correct it, um, you can't fall back on, on the ones I say, oh, well, well, it's just a joke. Have a sense of humor while at the same time, you know, actually using it as a criticism. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And then, of course, we'd say. Go out there and read a really good scholar. Heck, even read a really good scholar you agree with at the time. I mean, if you're going to argue against it, at least argue from an informed position. Because it, it's so ironic to me that a lot of them will say that we Christians are just so emotional and such. And really, I find there's a whole lot more emotionalism going on in, in atheism. It is. It's it's very emotionally driven a lot of times. Um, it's very. Uh, it, it's it's rare that I have um, a good kind of intellectual dialogue with someone. Uh, a lot of times, it's riddled with insults and profanities and um, kind of just derisive um, comments. And and it's it's very it's very very rare to to come across. Um, like I was saying, you know, I, I think that 10% was a low ball. I think we're looking at 80, 85%. Um, and, and finding those, that last, you know, 15% or so um, is, is challenging. Uh, I think it's so amusing. I don't care. so many people who think they're just making these devastating arguments. And I'm just sitting there shaking my boots and saying, no, uh, I mean, my last reply to you, man, I went and sat down on the couch and joined out and we turned on Netflix and we watched something together. I picked my book or started reading or just played a game for a while, just relaxed myself and such, and went to sleep peacefully. No, I'm hardly thinking about what you say throughout the day because it's it's so base and boring. I've heard it all before and you just don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the, the prime example that I give from, from McAfee's book of just showing um, how you know? I, I try not to accuse people of dishonesty, but this this was just it, it just so borders on it. Um, he he says that he's going to use the King James um, version of the Bible, which for anyone engaged in apologetics, you know, this isn't a knock on the King James uh, Bible so much. But um, if you're going to be engaged in, in an academic conversation about the text, you don't use the King James. Um, you, you use a, a modern translation that has been um, touched by uh, you know a century of textual criticism. Um, it, but the reason why he says the King James and why he's going to use it um, is is because of trademark issues, right? So so he doesn't want to use uh, it, you know it's the one that that has that has no trademarks. It's it's open source, so you can you can use it. You know he can, he can cite it freely, um, which is just. It, Again, I don't want to. I don't want to say dishonesty, but it's ridiculous. Like, how many scholars um, cite the NIV or the NASB or the RSV? Or as long as you cite your translation, it does not matter what version you use. You can cite it. But for McAfee, um, throughout his entire book, he chose to use the King James. Um, 
for for that for that reason, which is just you know when I when I came across that I almost just put the book down because I was like oh this is going to be futile, um, and I just had to you know bear down and get through it. But um, uh, that that that's a real example when you're reading through something like this and and you and you come across something like that. That should tell you about the bias and about the the intentions and about the rhetoric and about just how big that axe the the author is grinding really is, um, and that that's a really good example of it. I've been doing a blog for years. I've quoted the Bible numerous numerous times. I've never once thought anything along the lines of, "Geez, if I quote this too much, I could get sued." Yeah, I mean, I probably quoted the Bible more times in my review of his book than I did than he did uh, Bible verses in his book, um, and I used uh, primarily the ESV or the NASB, um, and I have zero fear of it um, because it's just like any other text. It's not as long as you're not saying it's your own words. As long as you cite something. You can use whatever you want. That's what a citation does. Mm. It allows you to quote something as long as you cite it. That, that's all that you need to do um, when when you're dealing with biblical text. And and you can even you don't even have to keep citing the translation every single time. All you have to do is say that unless otherwise noted, a biblical citation is from the ESV. Right. And that covers all of your citations throughout the entire book. And if you want to cite a different translation, then for that citation. You put NASB or RSV or whichever one you're using, so it's just that that's that's the level of of discourse that he's using, and we have to remember this is someone, you know, he's retracted it now because we gave him so much crap about it, um, but this is someone who claimed in his book multiple times to be a scholar of religion, mm-hmm. a scol a scholar of religion, right? Um, and his and his and you know he's backed down from it even though his his. His uh, little fanboys will say like, "Well, you know, don't be arbitrary on what you mean by you know scholar. He's you know he's a he's a great thinker and he's well read and he has a degree and yeah, it's really, well, that's just not what a scholar is." Well, how do we that come to the end of our show? Thank you. We show final points. If you want to find out more, do you have a blog or website where people can get in touch with you? Yeah, so you can go to uh, freedthinkerpodcast.blogspot.com is the blog. Um, you can email me at freedthinkerpodcast at gmail.com or really the best way um, to get in touch pretty quickly um, or to jump into some of these conversations is to go to the Freedthinker Podcast uh, group page on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And if anyone interested, I've even been on Tyler's show before, so you can go listen to that episode if you want to hear what I've had to say on there. Yep, you can find it on uh, on iTunes or Stitcher, or, or really just put the feed in, in whatever uh, uh, um, podcast player that you use. Uh, do you have any uh, final thoughts you'd like to leave with a deeper waters audience? Um, just to, to to keep on listening to um, good sources like like your podcast, mm-hmm. um, to continue really just continue the good fight uh, for Jesus Christ to make sure that we are um, being salt and light to the world. Um, one of my biggest recommendations for young apologists is to also make sure that you have um, that you have vacations yeah. from apologetics. I, you know, I've been I've been trying to give this advice more and more lately. Um, you and I have been doing this for a long time. We're a little bit more seasoned. We can you know we can usually jump in the fray for a little bit longer. Um, but if you're if you're new to this um, or, or what have you, um, make sure that you're taking breaks from it because it, it can be hard. It can grate at you. You know, if you're answering the same mythicist objection a hundred times. 
in three days, you you, ha- you can get really snarky and, and and actually turn people off to Jesus Christ, um, and you don't want to do that. Um, and so make sure you're taking breaks because even if it's the hundredth time you've answered it, it might be the first time that that person has asked it to you. So um, just make sure you're you're getting rest and you're you're um, you know you're you're spending time in the Word um, throughout that. You. you I, I don't think that people can do apologetics well unless they are biblically grounded. So um, make sure that you're spending time in your word and you're, you're, you know, you are getting the, the rest from kind of being out on the front lines. Well, I'd like to remind everyone that uh, next week we're going to have uh, Catherine Applegate and J.B. Stemple talking about how I changed my mind about evolution, evangelicals reflect on faith and science. And Tyler, I do want to thank you for coming on. Hopefully we'll see you back here again sometime. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. And now I'm Nick Peters, and until next time, I am signing off.